You can turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to still pray for revival, but I just want to kind of set the backdrop of this. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. I see one hand raised. It needs a Bible. Over here. If we can get a Bible, I think we should have some. And if you could turn it to Nehemiah 9. We'll be reading together. We also have some baptisms today. You might have noticed that this isn't normally over here, right? So the kids think it's a swimming pool. They would love to play in it. But we're going we're gonna to do some baptisms, people stepping forward and following the Lord in that step of obedience. Excited about that. Thanksgiving weekend, I guess. Last week was pre. This is still Thanksgiving weekend, so... I'm thankful for those that are being baptized, those that God has saved. Um, so Nehemiah 9, we did, uh, we did a few verses of it on a communion service uh, a couple Sundays ago, and I read just the first uh, three verses, and today I'll be reading verses 1 through 5 in just a couple of minutes. But in verses 1 through 5, uh, there are some names, and I get to pronounce them for you uh, in just a minute. Uh, there's actually a total of 11 names recorded there among the Levites, uh, starting in verse 4. And so in a few minutes, I'm going to invite 11 men to come join me. Um, I'll read the first five verses. And then there's 33 additional verses. So I've got 11 men, including our deacons and elders and a couple of other uh, men that will join them, that will be reading the other 33 verses uh, three verses each, 11 men. And they're going to stand on stage. Now, if you notice when, I, when we read the text, you'll notice that uh, these men all stood up on stairs. We're not going to do that because it could get risky. Uh, we've got stairs here. But, but they are going to climb these stairs and stand up here. And what I mentioned about being old school, uh, how many of you have ever been to a church and you did responsive reading? Pastor reads a verse. You read a verse. Pastor reads a verse, you read a verse. Um, that's called responsive reading. Now, if you thought that maybe Baptists made that up or something, uh, you know, if they thought that that was something that uh, you know, was in the last hundred years or something, perhaps, but it's actually been done long before that. And we know that from this text, the people stood for half the day, a quarter of the day reading the word, and a quarter of the day confessing and worshiping. That is a long service, isn't it? So half the day they stood... Uh, in a couple minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand, and that would be the old school part of it. The, uh, a lot of churches, when you do a responsive reading, the congregation stands for a responsive reading. And so a verse is read, and then a verse is read back. We're not doing that today. We're doing a variation of a responsive reading, because you'll be standing. I'll read the first uh, five verses, and then the other 33 verses, each man that will be standing up here will read three verses each. And we want to read the whole passage in its entirety because what uh, chapter 9 really is, is it's a prayer to God. But it's a really powerful prayer, and it's also a prayer that is reminding the people all the things that God has done on their behalf in the past. So uh, it's, for the most part, we should not make our prayers a sermon. Amen? You ever been to a prayer meeting and you're like, I think somebody just went into preaching mode, Right? That's generally not what you should do, unless the Holy Spirit ordains it. And in this case, the Holy Spirit said, this prayer will be a prayer to me, but also kind of a message back to the people of reminder, because boy, do we need reminders, don't we? And so I'm going to invite these 11 men, if you guys can come up and find your place uh, up here. Whether they end up in order or not is not totally... They all have assigned passages. And some are very thankful they didn't get the long names that are in here. Some didn't get so fortunate. Some get to trudge through that. But what we're, what we're asking the Lord to do 
Uh, I don't really know why God does some of the things he does. You ever read the Bible and you're saying, I why God does this, you know? For whatever reason, on this particular day, they felt compelled to have a group of men on the stage when the word was read. Um, another thing that you might, I mean, some of the church takes some of these things. You ever seen a, a, a pulpit stage where there's a couple of chairs and some other guys sit behind the pastor? You ever seen that set up? Again, they didn't make it up. There is, there is some precedent in the Bible for some of these. I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. Every, I'm just saying that people can take a verse and say, well, I saw it up there. So, uh, so again, some of these things uh, have some biblical background. Uh, again, from my perspective, they were special events where you see these things happen. So we really want to see this prayer be prayed in its entirety. I don't have time to go verse by verse through all 38 verses today unless you want to spend half the day here like they did. But we are going to look at it from a central theme of mercy, of mercy. But I want you to hear the context, and not just from my voice, but from various voices, because even though uh, Ezra and Nehemiah were two of the primary voices, they weren't the only voices that spoke. And did you know at Pentecost, a lot of times you see Peter got up and spoke? Did you know Peter was not the only one to speak that day? Did you know that others also shared? Just their instruction isn't recorded, but others also were sharing. Peter's is recorded. He was the keynote, if you will, <laughs> that God just anointed and 3,000 got saved. But others also shared. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read. Oh, let's do this. Why don't you stand first? And then you get to sit again and stand right back up. You get responsive standing. Uh, I want to pray for revival first, and then I'm going to have you be seated. And then, because these guys already have very specific instructions, but I want to give you guys an instruction too. When I get to first, verse 5, you're standing right now based on verse 3, if you will. Because in verse 3, uh, it tells us that right after they confess sins and they confessed in worship, you're standing for verse 3. But I want you to sit back down. When I get to verse 5... When I get to verse 5 and it says, in the middle of verse 5, stand up and bless the Lord your God, I want you to stand. When I get to verse 5, after I pray, be seated. When I get to verse 5 and it says, stand up and bless the Lord, I want you to restand. And then we'll come verse 6 and Scott will come forward and then they will read through the entire chapter. Stay standing. You don't have to stay on half the day. It probably will take about six, seven minutes, is my guess. All right. Let's pray for revival first. Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace. Lord, what a privilege to speak of your mercy. You've been merciful to us, our families, our nation. We just celebrated Thanksgiving Day. It's been a few hundred years of being here on this land. Lord, it certainly wasn't, didn't belong to us. Lord, you've been merciful to all the sins of this nation in the past. If you judged us for all the national sins, Lord, we wouldn't be here at all, nor would any other nation for that matter. But you've been merciful to us. You've been gracious. We thank you for your manifold blessings. And we pray, Lord, that you would use the reading of your word to bring revival to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that there be revival outside these four walls, that our neighbors, Many family members we just saw this week that don't know you as Lord and Savior. We pray that this would be the year, or at least in 2019, they would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray you'd pour out your spirit of revival in each of our hearts. We confess, Lord, our own sins, as well as the sins of our nation. And we ask, Lord, that by the mercy of Jesus, you would cleanse us, refresh us, Lord, Revive us, restore us. Lord, we pray that you would just place real, genuine, spirit-led worship in our hearts. We pray that outside these walls, Lord, that families would be reunited. That people would be set free from sin and chains and addictions. We want to finish this year strong, but we want to finish it strong in you, knowing that we're weak, but that you would make us strong in the Lord. We pray, Lord that you would pour out your spirit, that you would do a work that only you could do through the reading of your word, 
May you quicken it. May it be powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I don't care how many times we've read this passage, Lord. May it be new and renew as it's read. I pray that each voice of each man, Lord, you've saved each of their souls individually. I pray that you would do a different work in each reading, each verse, each voice. We all have a distinct fingerprint, a distinct voice, but Lord, you would speak as one voice through several voices. We ask, Lord, again, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When I get to the middle of verse 5 and I read, stand up, bless the Lord, you, that's your cue to restand our variation of responsive reading. Before I read it, how many of you are, you, you did some of this old school stuff, responsive reading back in the day? All right. You know, God's going to take some of the old things and make them new again. Because when a revival comes, he says he brings the latter rain, but it's the same kind of rain. It's just a latter rain. But rain is still rain. It, all the rain that always fall, God's going to do a new work through old. This old book can do a new work. Amen? Verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 9. Now on the 24th day, we're on the 25th day, so we we're really close. But we're at a latter time, so we're one day later here, right? Now, on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel, the children of CCR, if you will, were assembled with fasting. You didn't have to do that either. And sackcloth with dust on their heads. And then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood and confessed their sins, the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law from the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day. And another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. Then Jeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Benai, Chenai, stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Benai, Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up. And bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites. To give it to his descendants, you have performed your words, for you are righteous." And you saw the afflictions of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cries at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all of his servants and all the people of his land. For you know that they acted urgently against the fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is today. And you divided the sea before them so that they could go through the mist of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depth as a stone into the mighty waters. And with a pillar of cloud you led them by day and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. Then you came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So you, have, you made known to them your holy Sabbath. You laid down for them commandments, statutes, and laws through your servant Moses. 
gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought them water out of the rock of their thirst, and told them to go into to possess the land which you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you, our God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt and worked great provocations. Yet in your manifold mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them the light and the way that they should go. You also gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Sorry. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. So they took possession of the land of Shion, the land of the king of Hezmon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You also multiplied their children as stars of heaven and brought them into the land which you had told their fathers to go and possess. So the people went in and possessed the land. You subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they wished. And they took strong cities and a rich land and possessed houses full of all goods, cisterns already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your laws behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself. And they worked great provocations. Therefore, you delivered them into the hand of their enemies who oppressed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried to you, you heard from heaven. And according to your abundant mercies, you gave them deliverers who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. 
Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us, our kings, our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your people for the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. Every time you punished us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly, and you gave us only what we deserved. Our kings, leaders, priests, and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to the warnings in your commands and laws. Even while they had their own kingdoms, they did not serve you, though you showered your goodness on them. You gave them a large, fertile land, but they refused to turn from their wickedness. Behold, we are servants this day, and for the land thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yields much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our leaders, Levites, and priests seal it. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. When the Lord put on my heart... Um, I studied this. I've been studying the ninth chapter for a while. Uh, we we did a few verses. I mentioned uh, communion, Lord's Supper service a couple weeks ago. When Lord put this passage on my heart, um, I hadn't told the elders or deacons or the other men immediately. I just felt like the Lord immediately said, "I want you to do that. I want you." And so I started looking at the names. I was like, "Some of the names are mentioned twice." I counted them up, and there was eleven. And Ezra and Nehemiah aren't mentioned there, so I'm like, all right, I'll do the first five, and then the others split evenly, three verses each across 11 men. Uh, not that we don't have other men that could have been up here, some of you men, you know, there was, I, I, I couldn't get more than 11, so I, I would have gladly had more, but if I put one for every verse, we'd have been here half the day. So uh, some of it was efficient, but the Lord just put on my heart, all right, find 11 men, you have nine, you have a couple more. Read these passages. But I really believe that you experience, we've never done that before. We've never done that exact format where we read all the passages like that, different voices, men kind of unified on stage. But I believe God will bless it. Do you? Yes. There, and there's something, I don't know if, you, if, it's, if you've never been in any responsive reading. So sometimes the Lord will remind me of things that the church used to do in times past. And we say, well, that's so old. You know, they don't really not need it anymore. And God says, who says? New hip, hipsters, you know, are they the ones that are really designing what I'm doing by the Spirit? Or, or maybe there's something to the fact that there was some, I don't know if you, I felt the Holy Spirit when we stood in reverence for 38 verses. There's something God starts to speak to you and says, hey, when you get to heaven, you're going to stand a lot for my word. Right? Amen? We won't get tired then. Your feet won't swell either then. Right? But I really believe that God wants us to develop willingly a reverence for his word. And wasn't that an incredible prayer? Yes. You know, when you really start praying, you start to, you start, God starts to, I don't know that the prayer was intended to be that long to begin with, but all of a sudden, all the mercies of God start coming back. And what about this? And what about this? And God, you did this in my life. And God, you did this in my life. And you and I, when we get on our knees and we pray, the same thing happens. We start to... When we first started praying, the only thing we could think about was lunch. And our minds go on in 8 million directions, right? Then we settle in and we start praying. All of a sudden, we start to remember the goodness of God, the mercy of God. Oh, yeah, you did this. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Sometimes I'll be praying, a random just thing of God will come that he did for me 20 years ago that I'd long forgotten about. And God will say, haven't I been faithful? Even when... 
I love the passage in the, in the New Testament. It says, even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. Isn't that great to know? We're going to see that as we look at this text this morning. The other thing uh, the Lord put on my heart uh, regarding this is, you know, this is an Old Testament passage. I know we're under the New Covenant. I thank the Lord for the New Covenant. The New Covenant was the shed blood of Jesus. But you know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And some of what was done in times past, God says, do it again and watch what I do. I don't know how, but I prayed this morning. I've been praying the last couple of days. Lord, when we stand and pray these 38 verses, these different men, I pray you water these seeds. I don't even know what these seeds actually are, other than they did it in times past. God did great things, and I pray that he will in our hearts. If nothing else, that God just creates a hunger and thirst for his word, but also an appreciation for his mercy. So let's take a look at the word of God together this morning. I'm going to share for just a few minutes, not a long, uh, just more of a, a devotional overview of this text and, and understanding, if you're taking notes, the marvel of mercy. You might have seen the word mercy mentioned several times. It is mentioned several times in this chapter. Gracious and merciful in verse 17, you are God. Xavier read that portion, but you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness. What a blessing to meditate, to think about the mercy of God. And we'll, I'll define that a little bit later, what exactly mercy is. But I want to start in just a, just a brief overview of the entire text and it starts in verse, we looked at the first five verses in the, in the communion when we understood that um, this is uh, the Day of Atonement, what they were commemorating. This is Yom Kippur. And so the people had adorned themselves with sackcloth, not nice-looking clothes, but sackcloth and ashes. And they came with a humble spirit, and they were coming to confess not only their own sins personally, but... Everyone sins collectively. You know that, that when I pray for our nation, there's certain sins that I'm not committing, but I'm still, con I'm still confessing them for our nation. How about you? Now, there's other things that I'm just as guilty as the next person, and those are, are my personal. But we also, those are your dads. When you pray for your family, you're not just praying for yours. You're praying for a covering over the whole family. Job taught us this in the book of Job, that you pray over the sins in your own family. So we have a, our Father, hallowed be thy name, right? Give us this day our daily bread, and could, uh, or uh, cleanse us from our, there's a collective there, our trespasses. So the people were coming together, confessing sins, and they didn't just confess sins. Isn't it great? Once you confess sins, you get to worship. And it says they worshiped, and they, they lifted their hands, and they praised. They were bowed down so they could stand up. And we see in verse 5 what I read, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all the blessings and praise, uh, which is the opening of Jesus teaching us how to pray. Hallowed be your name. We see the same thing here. We start with the greatness of God. And I want to start, if you're taking notes, the first thing I want to take a look at here is uh, they start in this prayer, exactly who's praying it, or if it's more than one person, we don't really know, but... It's recorded. It's both a prayer and I would say a message simultaneously, all in one. And in verse 6, uh, just after it proclaims the greatness of the name of God and the fact that God is to be worshipped, verse 6, you alone are the Lord, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host. You think about every time NASA finds another deep space field view, what do they find? More galaxies. More stars. I'm convinced that the reason that God made the galaxy as large as it is, which is really beyond our comprehension, you know, millions, billions of galaxies with millions and billions of stars in each galaxy. And it keeps going, it's just for God to show this is how magnificent I am. It's just to show the gap between us and him. It's a big gap, isn't it? The earth and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them. You know, we're small even when we're just on a little boat out in the middle of the ocean. You ever been on a cruise or anything? You look in all different directions, and all you see is ocean as far as the eye can see. And boy, 
Right? If those of you that have been in the Navy and you've experienced like 40 and 50 foot waves, you get an idea of how powerful God is. And one of the guys that was in the Navy that attended the church, uh, he's an aircraft carrier, and one wave peeled back the entire deck of an aircraft carrier. One wave. Ripped it right off a wave. And another guy I know in the Navy, one wave put a hole in the side of the ship. Hit it that hard. You know, just it, only God has this kind of power, but it mentioned the seas and all that is in them. And thank God if he's in control of the sea. Poor Jonah, he found out that you can survive. He can send one of the creatures in the sea to take you through it. And you preserve them all. He preserves us, but also everything in the universe, everything in the sea. The host of heaven worships you. And so a great place to start if we want to see revival and seeking the help of God is to start to remember his, his power and authority. Amen? To remember his power and authority, his hallowed name. Psalm 62, 11, uh, 62 verse 11 says, God has spoken once. Twice I have heard this. Some believe the psalmist is saying, uh, once kind of the voice of the Spirit, and once God audibly spoke to me this. You see, once God's spoken, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. Not only does power belong to God, power only belongs to God. It doesn't just belong to him. It, all, it doesn't share. Did you know his power isn't shared? It doesn't share his power with anyone. It only belongs to him. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, but our God is in heaven. I love the rest of this verse. Here it is. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Whatever he pleases is righteous and right and just. Our God has zero limits. How do we comprehend the power of a God who has always been? Always been. No beginning. How do we comprehend a God who has always been? Doesn't have a starting point like us. No beginning, no end. He simply speaks and trillions upon trillions upon trillions of stars all of a sudden are there. Many of them make our star look like a tiny little moon. Speaks it into his existence. We can't speak a Hershey kiss into existence, right? <laughs> I'm trying to think of something Christmassy, right? It's a tiny little, you know, when you're desperate for chocolate, you wish you could speak a Hershey kiss into existence, right? Like, I know that there was some in this house somewhere. Where did it go, right? He has infinite power. We have none of that power. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens. By the way, psalmist mentioned the heavens. Here are these men making a prayer mention the heavens. Uh, I can't remember which great theologian pastor said, he used a few times that he'd walk out and look up in the sky just to remember who was who. Right? Literally. He, he, was, he said three or four times a day he would walk outside, make sure he looked up, just to remember who was who. You know what he means by that, right? But the psalmist and, and Jeremiah and Job, and they, they, they all speak of the heavens. They, they didn't cease to be impressed with the greatness and glory of God. Often we just aren't that impressed anymore, and we need to be. It's a great place to start. Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Nothing too hard for God. Makes your mind hurt thinking about how he can make yet another unique snowflake out of the billions upon billions upon billions upon billions that have ever fallen. You're like, how is this possible? One glacier in Greenland must have trillions. But that's just one tiny little tiny little spot, and 6,000, 7,000 years of time, all fallen, and everyone under a microscope is different than the next one. How is that possible? Because God has no limits. Job 26, 14, indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways, and how small a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? Job says, everything we can try and comprehend, take Einstein's brain, Shakespeare's brain, anyone you can think of, George Washington Carver's brain, Anyone you can think of, take all their brains and our brains combined, and all we can get to is the edge of his ways. 
That's true. And yet man, we saw in the past, becomes proud and thinks so highly of himself and his abilities. Yes, the greatness of his power is amazing, but the greatest of his power was the cross and the empty tomb. I don't know how that works. I don't know why God wanted to demonstrate it that way. But the power over sin and death that Jesus displayed is greater than it all. I love John 18.10. Jesus saying these words, I have power, speaking of his life, to lay it down. And I have the power to take it up again. This command I've received from the Father will never comprehend until we get to heaven the power it took to lay down his life, but the same power to raise it back up. And by the way, you and I need power to humble ourselves in this lifetime. Amen? You don't need, I mean, you need power to be humble. That's a strange kind of uh, contradiction, or it may seem that way. It's not. It's a paradox that we need power to be humble. Humble brings power. The power of God makes us humble because we look at the power of God and we become humble, don't, don't we? Thankfully for us, the might and power of God is directly tied to the mission of God. Imagine if the power of God was only against us. Think about that again. Imagine if the power of God was only against us, we would be gone, wouldn't we? But there's an undeterred mission in this text. And again, I don't have time to go back to all the verses you heard the men read them. But verse 7 uh, we move from God's might to his mission. You are the Lord God who chose Abram. See, in verse, uh, verse 6, God created. Verse 6 is all about that God created, and he preserves that creation even till now, and he inhabits the praise of the stars and the angelic host. But due to sin and the condition of mankind, God went from creation to he chose. He created, but then he chose. It says, you chose Abram. And you gave him the name Abraham. From the incomprehensible size of the universe, God immediately moves down to one tiny soul. Isn't that amazing? Verse 6, the expanse of the universe. Verse 7, one little person in Ur that no one had ever heard of. And God was watching. God knows you, every number of hairs on your head, and he's thinking about you. He's chosen you personally. God chose this tiny speck, this tiny little piece of earth. He chose this man to then choose a people, to then choose a tribe, to then choose and send his chosen and only son, Jesus. That the people in that nation would reflect God in the world. That was the, that was the mission for Israel as a nation, that they would reflect God, build the temple, and they would exalt and magnify the name of God. It, uh, but the central and the overriding mission of all the scriptures is not Israel, but redemption. Israel plays a key role, but Israel's not the central theme. They have, a, they have a lead role in the story, but the central theme is redemption. Israel wasn't in Genesis chapter 1, right? Or 2, or chapter 3. Redemption is the central theme of all of the scriptures. It's the overriding mission. For God so loved the world. But within the mission of God, God chooses Israel. Then he chooses prophets that they went and killed. Did you hear that? When that was read, Patrick had that part of the text, that they, they killed the prophets, they killed the apostles, tried to kill the church. But then there's individual, there's the overriding work of redemption, but then God uses people in the overriding work. So CCR, we're in this list, if you will. We're, we're a church in the mission of God. And then individually, God has done redemption in us, but he wants to use us to bring redemption to others. Now, if it were left up to us, and it was left up to our faithfulness, our dependability, the whole mission fails, doesn't it? Did you see Israel's success record? And after they had a little rest, they went back to sin. And after they had a little rest, they went back to sin. Then they sinned again. Then they sinned worse. Then they rebelled. They shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their neck, shrugged their shoulders, eh, God's no big deal. I don't got time for that. I got better things to do. Sounds like America, doesn't it? They shrug their shoulders. Eh. 
what you good for you is good for you. It's good for you. We all have the same God anyway. All roads lead to heaven. Not true. It's a way that seemeth right unto the man, but the end therein is death. That's why we need a God that's undeterred in the mission. Amen? That despite, boy, Israel blew it a million times. And, and by the way, if he'd have chosen any other nation, they'd have blown it just as much. We would have blown it. But it wasn't up to Israel. It was up to God to bring forth the Messiah. And just like the virgin birth, it all depends on God. Amen? There is no virgin birth without God. It all depends on God. The missions, it depends on God. And God will complete the mission. He'll choose the means. And praise God, he'll complete us too. Amen? In spite of us, he'll complete us. The leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, they're in this prayer and in this, uh, this voice of kind of crying out to God and remembering their really faithless, failing, sinful past. They're reminding the people of this long history of, in spite of it all, experiencing the goodness of God. That God holding a remnant, restoring, forgiving, giving them new leaders, giving them another chance, another chance, another chance. Even after they forgot the grace and the mercy and, and they rebelled, ignored. It does sound like America, but it also sounds like us personally sometimes too, doesn't it? Hasn't God been great, gracious to us? And all the times that we've taken for granted his goodness. In verse 11, it says, uh, he delivered them. Verse 11, he, he divided the sea. You brought them through. In verse 12, he led them. Led them by a pillar of uh, both cloud and of fire. In verse 15, he fed them. He brought them manna from heaven, which, by the way, they ended up hating the most perfect food the world has ever been given, and they complained about it. It had everything you could possibly want. Those of you that are trying to make sure you get enough veggies and much, enough of this, this food had it all. You eat manna, you had your fiber, you had your vitamins, you had your B12, you had your vitamin C. You, you got it all in that food. And they're like, we're so tired of this. Right? Can't we go back to chains in Egypt? They complain. God, God hates complaining, by the way. We just had Thanksgiving week. He loves thankfulness and everything gives thanks. But they complain. Then verse 16, 17, they refused and they hardened their hearts. Then in verse 18, they decided they wanted new gods. They actually, it, it, it blows my mind that people think I can actually shape something out of gold and it's going to do something for me. But people are still doing it that today. I can shape my career and make more money. They asked John D. Rockefeller back in the day, John D. Rockefeller, wealthiest man in the world at the time, what, how much is enough? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. The presence of God in verse 20 sustained them. Verse 24 and 25, he gave them possessions. God gave them things, and they fell in love with the possessions instead of the, instead of the one that was the possessor of them. In verse 26, they rebelled. Verse 27, God sent them new deliverers, and he sent them deliverers again and again. He kept sending them. You know, he'd send to Samson. He'd send to Gideon, right? They'd take it for granted. They'd think, hey, we can go back to doing whatever we want. Everything's fine. Our own country's saying, hey, 9-11 so long ago, we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff anymore. We got more technology than everybody. We we got everything taken care of. We got all our ducks in a row. And then you say, but we can't stop wildfires now, can we? We can't stop tornadoes. We can't stop hurricanes. We can't. Our nation needs to repent. But he sends deliverers. They rebel. Verse 28, 29, they get some rest. They shrug their shoulders again and go right back again. And I know this is repetitive, but that's the, the prayer is to show this is how bad our pattern is. This is how bad our pattern is. We keep going back. We keep going back to sin. We continue to go back. That's why they have sackcloth and ashes. They're, they're trying to say, Lord, help us. Do you ever pray, God, help me not be anymore so wandering away from you? I know that wasn't the greatest English statement, but that's okay. I was going one way and I went another way. But <laughs> Verse 30. 
Look at verse 30. Yet for many years you had patience with them. What a great verse, huh? That's a, that, that verse could be your, your life and my life. Yet for many years I've had patience with you. Patience. By the way, because God is patience with us, patient with us, he gives us the ability to learn patience. We'll become patient people. Patient people become thankful people. Thankful people become worshipful people. Worshipful people become transformed people. In the history of Israel in our lives, he goes on to say, not only have been patient with them in verse 30, but verse 31, nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them. For, for at the end of verse 31, for you are a God gracious and merciful. We've experienced rivers of mercy. Amen? More than we can comprehend. Just like we can't comprehend the stars, we cannot comprehend the mercy of God. We kind of get our arms around it, get our mind around it. But mercy is best understood. In fact, it's only understood when we understand that we don't deserve it. The reason why people complain, why we all complain, is we think we deserve more than we get. We truly believe, a lot of times, we truly believe we deserve something. Meanwhile, there's people that have it a million times worse than us, and we still think we deserve, we don't really care what they're in. Not at that moment, anyway. Not at that moment. Well, we're Maybe there, there's other times when we do care, but at that moment that we're just whining and complaining, we've forgotten that God's look, I've already spared you of so many things that you deserve. But we best understand it when we don't deserve it. And the leaders and the people, have, they've come to this place. That's why they're crying out and saying, Lord, we do not deserve to have the walls that have been rebuilt, to have the temple rebuilt, to have you send Ezra and Nehemiah and, and people that uh, are, are repenting. We don't deserve your goodness and your grace. I've said it before. I haven't said it in a while. Do not pray for justice and fairness with God. Do not pray for justice and fairness. That is not a prayer you want answered. You pray for mercy. He told Moses to come not to the justice seat, the mercy seat. If Moses had to come to the justice seat, Moses is in hell. Come to the mercy seat and sprinkle it with what? Blood. There had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. You don't, come to the, you don't want to come to the judgment seat or the, ju or, or the fairness seat. There's no such thing, but... Even the judgment seat of Christ is it's judging our works post-salvation, not the state of our soul without salvation. Big difference. So in other words, some of our works will be wood, hay, and stubble because they were done with the wrong motive. But, that, but our soul still survives forever in heaven. You don't want to go to the judgment of God and an unprotected soul not covered by mercy, not covered by the blood of Jesus. I shared this yesterday, but... A lot of you aren't on social media, but I love this quote from Jonathan Edwards. You contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that makes it necessary. That's a mic drop right there from the 1700s. From the 1700s. And it's true, isn't it? That's what we contributed to the cross was the sins that put Jesus there. And yet God doesn't hold that against us. And he provides mercy anyway. You are a God gracious and merciful. Understand that mercy, if you ever wonder, what, how is mercy and grace different? They're not the same terms, although they're very related. Mercy is not getting the punishment we deserve. That's mercy. Not getting the punishment we deserve. Grace is receiving goodness that we didn't deserve. Mercy's not getting what we do deserve. Grace is receiving the immeasurable goodness, indescribable goodness of God. In other words, all the things that he gives in the form of salvation, forgiveness, love, peace. And Israel experienced both, and so have we. Amen? So have we. I want to close with Psalm 123. I think I have it up there. There we go. In Psalm 123... And in a couple of Wednesdays, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, I'm going to share more on this passage 
uh, and why it's so important uh, to what the Spirit wants us to do to actually see our attitudes and the things that distract us. We'll look at this from, it was actually, I got it from a devotion that I was, was looking at with Oswald Chambers. But in this passage, it tells us, Lord, have mercy upon us. We're full of contempt. In other words, we're full of, what, what that means is we're full of rebellion. Okay, well, not me. I'm, I'm, I'm not a rebellious person at all. Compared to God, we're all full of rebellion. Amen? If there's a handful of things you've resisted God on, you and I are full of rebellion. But it's not saying that there's much we can do to offer God except for what? Ask for mercy. But when we humbly ask for mercy, he actually changes the desires of our heart, the intents of our heart. We can't automatically change them. We ask him to help us change them. Amen? So not only does he spare us from what we do deserve, but then that's where grace comes in. Grace says, now, not only will I spare you, you do deserve this punishment, this punishment, whatever. God says, I'm going to spare you of that, but better than that, I'm going to give you my spirit to help you choose worship, choose thanksgiving, choose love, choose joy, choose peace. God said, I'm going to you don't have it in you to choose these things, but I'm going to help you. But the first thing is to ask for mercy. Why don't you close your eyes? We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to ask our people that are getting baptized to please go ahead and move to the, uh, wherever you need to get changed. If you're already changed and ready, then, then you're in great shape. But, um, but to please do that. But I just want to ask before we have our baptism, we have four people that are getting baptized today. I don't want to take for granted that everybody in here has experienced personally the grace and mercy of God through the work of salvation of Jesus coming in and being your Lord and Savior. But if you're, with your heads bowed, if you say, I, I've never asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and you would like to do so, and invite him into your heart, as those that are being baptized today have already done, experience that mercy. I'm going to ask you, just if that's you, just stand where you're at. I want to pray with you. I don't want to assume that everyone here has already come into saving faith which is the mercy of God and the grace given through the blood of Jesus. But if there's anyone at all, just stand right where you're at. We want to pray with you. For all of you, I'm going to invite Dave and the worship team to come back up, and they're going to, they're going to lead us in some worship. I've got to go get changed myself for the baptism. But as you worship, remember the people, they stood, they confessed their sins. They asked God to forgive them. And he's gracious and merciful to do so. But then they did what? They worshipped. They worshipped. They sealed this and said, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant. Our leaders, our Levites, our priests seal it. Just ask the Lord. It's not a Lord's Supper service, but it's similar in this respect. Say, Lord, thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, seal my heart to walk after you. Let the mercy of God change us and transform us. It really will. As I invite you to stand as the worship team plays, and we'll have these baptisms in just a couple of minutes, but just worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and let God minister to your spirit in the process.